Blog Talk Radio. Radio show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and given that this is a day where a lot of little Easter bunnies become pets, I'm going to spend a moment at the end of the show giving a little advice about this. But Easter isn't the only significant event in April. In fact, the entire month is Earthquake Preparedness Month. So I've invited our old friend Susan Keyes from SCART back to the show to talk about a great event that's coming up that will help you prepare for any kind of emergency. Then, after our halftime break, Dr. Kristen Farrer will be checking in and updating us on the great eye exam for service dogs. Before we get started, we need to pause for a very quick station message, but don't go away because this is the show where animal people get all the best pet-related information on AM 1260. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Pet Place Susan Keys from SCART. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hey, let's remind everyone who are the SoCal Animal Response Team, a.k.a. SCART. Okay, we're, everybody probably knows this is Surf City Animal Response Team, so we're in the process of changing our name. We're a Southern California-based animal response team, and we've been a nonprofit since November of 2005. Okay, and, and what do you do? Educate the public on disaster preparedness for families and pets, and we also provide assistance to animals in disasters. Ah, so you actually go out to areas that are impacted by a disaster and, and help out? Yes, we'd actually be providing assistance in any type of a disaster crisis, basically sheltering, animal sheltering response and disaster recovery. Okay. When you get to a disaster-type situation, give me an example of something you might do. Typically what we would do is set up a temporary animal shelter until they can redirect the animals to a more permanent shelter or the owners come in and reclaim their pets. Okay, and do you have volunteers, or is it a paid staff? How does that work? No, it's an all-volunteer organization. Oh, wow. And how do you guys get trained? I'm sure you need to know what you're doing to be able to handle something like this. We do our own disaster drill training to keep people up to speed on the different types of paperwork and the processes that they'll need for a temporary shelter. But we also have outside training programs, whether it be working with farm animals, horses, dogs and cats, zoonotic diseases. We have kind of a variety of training, so we keep our members up to date on what type of things they might experience in a disaster. I see. What are some of the disasters that that you've responded to personally? Personally, I belong with a national organization, a hoarding case, uh, an example of a shelter that basically had too many animals and could no longer handle them, so it was a matter of them relinquishing the owners. During the fires, just doing wellness checks to check and see if the animal's okay because the owners could not get back into the area. 
So do you actually take animals out if there's an evacuation and the owners can't get back into their neighborhood? Are you authorized to do that? If requested, we would work under animal control. Okay, so there's a little bit of a chain of command. Correct. How have you established all of these networks, so to speak, with the professional organizations that are trained to handle emergencies? I go to a lot of county meetings (laughs) and interact and build a trust where they know that when we respond, it's only if we're requested and we know we have to follow the incident command system, which is what the governmental agencies use during any type of a disaster situation. Okay. Why are organizations like SCART important to the public? Can't the fire department and animal control handle these things on their own? In a disaster, you're going to have a large number of animals that are going to be displaced, and they wouldn't have enough manpower to handle the number of animals. So we would be that backup assistance to run the temporary shelter, and their their basic responsibilities will be go in and evacuate the animals and bring them to a temporary shelter. And that would be if the regular shelters were full and they could no longer take on any more animals. Okay. So people really need to know who you are. How do you get the word out? about what you do, what your goals are, that sort of thing? Well, you can find out more information about our organization at the website, www.scart.us, or you can actually reach me at email, s-u-e-k-e-y at socal, S-O-C-A-L, dot R-R dot com. Wow, that's a long one. <laughs> yes. You can also go straight, directly to our um, email at our website. Okay, okay. And I understand you have kind of a special day coming up where you're really going to address disaster preparedness for pet owners. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Yes, we're actually going to be partnering with another nonprofit. It's called Orange Dog, and the location is going to be at the Orange Dog Bar and Grill in Huntington Beach. And this is going to be a Pet Lovers Disaster Information Day. Mm Mm-hmm. And the date is on May 1st, which is a Sunday. Okay. And and what are the hours? From 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. Is there a fee for this? No, there's not. This is free to the public. It's open to everybody. All righty. And what kind of activities are going to happen at the event? Well, it's going to be information only as far as the vendors on disaster preparedness. We also are going to have the restaurant will be providing food, and there will be a special discount for people attending the event. Can we'll people bring their pets? Yes, it is very pet-friendly. Oh, good. So they have outdoor seating then? Yes. So we'll need to put in an order for a sunny day on May 1st. We're hoping on it, but if not, we will have our easy-ups set up. Okay. Now, I think I read somewhere that you're going to be doing microchipping also. Yes, we are. It will be $20, and that will include registration. We have several vets coming in that will be doing the microchipping. Oh, that's a great deal. I can't say enough good things about microchipping, too, because collars and tags come off so easily. And even though I really encourage everybody to put a collar and tag on their their pets, a microchip is that all-important backup, and it is just vital to protect a pet and give it its voice to get back home should it ever be separated from its family. And that's just reminding people to keep their registration up to date? That's for sure, because if you move and you have a microchip that gets scanned, unless you've made sure that you tell the organization that you've registered your chip with, your new phone number, your new address, 
they're going to have all the old information, and that's not going to help your pet one bit. No, it's not. Now, there's a little bit of fun going on at your event as well. I, I heard through the grapevine there's a dog beauty contest. Yes, it is. It's a $10 donation. We're going to have uh, categories, small dogs, large dogs for beauty contests for the dogs. We're going to have best personality and the best dressed. Ooh, very fun. I know a lot of people like entering their dogs and this sort of thing, and it's fun to dress them up, although I have to admit I think most dogs look pretty humiliated when they get dressed up. But <laughs> Some dogs actually like it. <laughs> okay. But you're also having a photographer there, and if someone wants to donate $5, would they get a professional portrait of their dog? Is that how that works? Well, what they'll be doing is they'll be taking, for $5 donation, they will be taking a photo of the dog and framing it, and it'll actually go on the restaurant wall so you can actually show off your dog on the restaurant wall. Oh, okay, that's even better. So you don't take the picture home, but it, it will live in infamy? No, not infamy. <laughs> It'll have a new home on a restaurant oh wall God, that everyone. basically is very pet-friendly as oh. far as what they promote. So you could say, that's my dog, every time you go in. Yes. <laughs> Do I get a discount? He's the cute one, on, or she's not the cute one on the wall. Oh, gosh, that's so fun. Okay, let's remind everybody again the date and the time for this wonderful event. It's May 1st at 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., and the location is in the parking lot of the Orange Dog Bar and Grill. And their address is 18552 Beach Boulevard in Huntington Beach. And I'll give you a phone number for the restaurant. It's 714-861-4449, and they are actually have they coordinate with the Orange Dog, which is a rescue group, which I understand you'll be talking to them more. Actually, yes, they are going to come on the show, but let's give a little preview. Uh, tell me a little bit about Orange Dog and, and why they're a great org organization to partner with. The founder is Jan Folk, and basically it was designed to rescue helpless small breed dogs from the different overcrowded shelters. And they actually provide transportation to areas where they'll find new homes, and that's where the Freedom Flight comes in. Recently in April, they flew 70 dogs, small dogs, to a shelter in Canada, and all of the dogs have been adopted. Wow, so it's international. <laughs> yes, they can't, Canadians are actually looking for a lot of the small dogs, so they take them out of the shelters that are here and find them a new home. Oh, that sounds great. I can't wait to talk to these folks because I just love rescue organizations that think outside the box to to help with our problem of pet overpopulation and finding homes for the critters who don't have homes. Yes, and they understand they use a private jet. Okay, okay. That's really great. It's, I'm very impressed that there's an organization like that out there. And, Susan, I'm always impressed with SCART and all the work you do in, in helping to make sure that pet owners are prepared for emergencies. Let's give out the SCART website address one more time before I let you go. It's www.scart.us, so scart.us. And there is a lot of great information on there for pet owners along with information about this upcoming event, correct? Yes. 
Wonderful. Thanks for being with us this morning. Well, thank you for having me. And we hope you could come back again in the future and give us some more updates on all the things that SCART's up to. Well, thank you. Right now it's time for that pesky station message, but don't go away. We'll be back shortly with veterinarian Kristen Ferrer, who has an update for us on the huge free eye exam event going on right now for service dogs. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining me now is Dr. Kristen Farr. Welcome to the Pet Place, Dr. Farr. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, we had the pleasure to talk with another veterinarian who is participating in a very special national eye care event for service dogs, and I understand that you're participating here locally in Southern California. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about that? Absolutely. So we are very excited to be participating in this event. This is really focused on animal eye care, and our goal is to try to provide service for the service pets that offer their services to humans so selflessly. So our goal is to try to evaluate these pets to try to find out if they have ocular or eye abnormalities, which may inhibit their ability to do their job well, but also to give back to them to try to make sure that their eyes remain healthy so that they can continue to do their job and, and you know, not have any vision deficits that may impact the well-being of their humans and, of course, to impact their comfort or their vision. Well, I'm so happy that you're participating in this. I was trying to find some of the local veterinarians who are involved in the project. Where is your organization? Our organization is located at 9599 Jefferson Boulevard in Culver City, California. We actually have some other local practices that are participating. We have a group in our Pasadena office. We also have a location in Torrance and some other locations in Upland and in Tustin in the Southern California area. Oh, that's wonderful. And if somebody listening right now has a service dog and they'd like to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity to have their their service pet eyes examined. Uh, is, is there a website that they could look at that has all the master information? Absolutely. The website is www.acvoiexam.org. And ACVO stands for the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmology. Okay. And how long does the public have to take advantage of this? I know it's not year-round. It's just during a very specific amount of time. When is it ending? Well, the registration is actually going on currently. The entire month of May is devoted to the National Eye Exam for Service Pets. So we will be able to start examining our patients in early May, but the registration is open presently. Do you have to register before May, or can you continue registering throughout the duration of the event? Typically, they can continue to register throughout portions of May, but best thing would be to start getting registration, um, beginning the registration now so that we can be prepared to move ahead to, to schedule the examination with the individual doctors that are participating. Okay. Why is eye care for animals so important? Well, it's really essential in how our pets do their jobs every day. So especially when we focus on the service-oriented animals, they are really the eyes and the ears for many of the people that they work for. And so if we end up having any inhibition in how they can do their job, if they have abnormalities such as a cataract, which may impact how well they can see, that then may impact how they guide the people that they work for. The same thing as far as other pets that retrieve objects 
for people that are, for instance, wheelchair bound. That if they cannot see where they're going and they can't, then they can't function as well for the people that they work for. Right. And how does a service dog qualify for this event? I know there are a lot of different types of service dogs. Do all service dogs, whether they're assistance therapy dogs or or seeing eye dogs or hearing dogs, do they all get to come in for this event, or are there some restrictions? Well, there are some limited restrictions. What we're asking is that these service pets in really will include the guide dogs, the hearing dogs, handicap assistance dogs, detection dogs, or police dogs, mm-hmm. search and rescue pets, also you know, really formally trained and certified therapy dogs okay. and some other service animals as well. But the, the goal is to have these pets be certified. And typically what owners will have is a certification um, through a certifying organization, and those pets are the pets that we're going to be focused on for the, for the eye examination day. Okay. And I know that everybody should have their pet's eyes examined periodically. What's a good routine for this? How often should somebody bring their pet in for an eye exam? You know, it's, that's a very good question. I think a lot of people, when they end up coming to see an ophthalmologist, they wonder if they should have had their pet evaluated at some point in the past. And certainly having an evaluation at, as a baseline is always a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, unfortunately, most of the time we'll end up seeing pets only when they have problems. And so I think that if, if someone were interested in having their pet evaluated, you know, in their younger years, just to have a baseline line examination, I think that's great. And after that, if they have an eye problem, they've established a relationship, and then they can always have that pet come back in, and we at least have a baseline to use as a comparison point. Okay. Yeah. Because animals are so good at compensating when they lose one of their senses or one of their senses isn't functioning as well as it should, Mm -hmm. how do you really know if a pet is having difficulty in that area? Well, I think that's also a great question. I think that they're, they're so fabulous at compensating, and it's a survival mechanism for them. And so I think that, you know, monitoring how well they do in different lighting conditions, if they're starting to become unsure in different lighting, for instance, if they're unsure in the dark, you know, sometimes those can be indications. I think also if they used to jump on and off of the couch or they used to play with a specific toy and they're not doing those things as much, I think those also can be some warning signs. Of course, there can be other things that are impacting the pet, but I think monitoring for their daily routine Um, And if they're starting to make mistakes or if they start to become less sure of themselves and less confident, I think those are also some things to pick up on. Okay. And here's a scary thought for a lot of pet owners out there. Is, Is veterinary eye care expensive? You know, it really has become more reasonable over time. We're trying to do more examinations that include some certain specific diagnostic tests. And I think that the goal really is to provide options to our clients for their pets. Um, I think for all of us that are in this field, I think we got here for a reason, um, and we really want to keep options open. And so that the great thing about that is that we can serve a lot of different people with a lot of different ability to have financing or to have the ability to pay for services. Okay. So I think our goal is really to try to make this accessible. Okay. 
to your knowledge, is pet insurance covering routine eye exams in animals at this point in time? I think it depends on the different policies. I think that that's something for each client to really check into as far as the eye examinations. Pet insurance is becoming better and better, and they're covering more and more as far as procedures and different types of ocular conditions. So I think it's something for them to check into. Some insurance companies cover examinations and some simply don't, but will cover certain surgical procedures if needed. When I think of eye care in human beings, we can get glasses. Sure. But a dog or a cat or another animal obviously can't wear glasses. How do you take care of an animal that's losing its vision and needs some sort of compensation? Well, it depends a lot on what the cause of vision loss is. For instance, if they have a cataract, cataract surgery can be performed so that we can remove the cataract. And we actually place artificial lenses in the eyes of dogs that have cataract surgery, much like they do in people. If it simply is a matter of a vision deficit, there actually is the ability to try to fit them with prescription lenses. And typically those are placed in a goggle that a dog may wear on their head. Yes. So those aren't those aren't utilized very often, but for instance, for competing dogs, potentially for a service pet, you know, pets that really need to function at a high level. How do the animals respond when they're wearing these? Often they're a little bit unsure and hesitant, and they have to learn to wear these things just like they have to learn to walk on a leash. Okay. So it can take some time. Do they seem a little disoriented at first? I know in people, when you first wear glasses, you might feel a little dizzy or everything might seem a little fuzzy. Is it the same thing for dogs I think and it, cats? I think it potentially could be. I think that the most difficult thing is, of course, they can't tell us what they're feeling, but I think many pets are very amenable. I think that certain pets don't like the distraction of having something around their eyes that they wear. Okay. Yeah. And how about LASIK surgery? Is that available for pets? Not something that's available on a routine basis now. Okay, but hopefully soon. I know that veterinary medicine is advancing so quickly and catching up with human medicine on so many levels. It absolutely is, and I think things are changing all of the time. I think when our pets need to drive and read, I think there will be more interest in, in <laughs> trying to trying to provide those services to oh, them. Okay, okay. <laughs> What is your absolute favorite story in treating service dogs? I think one of my favorite stories was when I had a woman that came in to have her son's service dog evaluated, and I was so incredibly impressed by the amount of freedom that this pet offered her son. And I was so excited to be able to try to provide care to this pet that so lovingly gave of itself to try to help improve someone else's life. That pet was able to get objects off of a counter, was able to retrieve things, was even able to provide a means of energy to move forward. Um, And I think that watching this bond form where, again, these pets give so selflessly of themselves to really make a world of difference in someone else's life is just the most amazing thing that can happen. That does sound so rewarding, and you seem so passionate about what you do. What made you decide to get into very specifically animal eye care? Well, I actually got into this because I had a pet with eye problems, and before I was introduced into this world, I had no idea that there were specialists out there for our patients and for our pets. 
And the people that took care of me throughout all of his eye problems were amazing. And I fell in love with the specialty. I had not even yet been to veterinary school when I was exposed to this. And so this really was the driving thrust for me to continue to pursue veterinary medicine and to then specialize in ophthalmology. And it's very close to my heart. I really associate with my clients and what they're going through when we're treating their patients and their pets. And, I, you know, this is something that's very, very close to my heart. Wow. How long have you been doing this now? I've been doing this for seven years. Wow. You sound like you're 16. That's why I asked. <laughs> Not 16. Wish I were. Sometimes. Uh, and you treat dogs and cats. Do you do exotics also? Absolutely do exotics. So dogs and cats and exotics and horses occasionally when the need arises. Okay. Um, and that's part of the great part of the specialty for me as a veterinarian is that I get to see so many different species, but the eye is so well preserved between species. And what is the name of your facility, one more time, and your website? The name of the facility is I Care for Animals, E-Y-E, Care for Animals. I'm located in a multi-specialty hospital at the City of Angels in Culver City, and our website is www.icareforanimals.com, all spelled out. And again, for the eye examination, you can go to the www.acboiexam.org. Wonderful. You seem like a really neat person who loves your job and loves the animals, and I know our listeners appreciate the fact that people like you are out there and available to them, and I wish you huge success with the big eye care event. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. We need to take one last break, but we'll be right back with Pet Place News and Events here on AM 1260. Don't go away. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Okay, time for me to get on my soapbox. I hope that no one has impulsively bought a little live Easter bunny for the kids this year. But if you did, let me just go over a few things. First, bunnies do not belong in little outdoor hutches or cages. This totally stunts their emotional growth, and it's essentially just an unhealthy way to live. Rabbits are very fragile little beings, and changes in outdoor temperatures can be deadly. They make great house pets. They can be litter box trained. If you spend time with them, get them toys, groom them, play with them, you'll discover they're amazing little companions, so please treat them that way. Also, remember that rabbits can live 10 or more years. So you've got yourself into a pretty long commitment. Please take it seriously. All too often, animal shelters get overrun with bunnies in the weeks following Easter because people didn't take this commitment seriously. In the end, no homes can be found, and a lot of these rabbits are destroyed. And don't think for a moment that bunnies can survive on their own in parks. They can't, at least not very long, and their quality of life is just terrible. These are not wild animals, and it is completely against the law to abandon rabbits or any pet in a park or anywhere. If you need help, don't hesitate to contact the House Rabbit Society at www.rabbit.org. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a permanent home, too. 
We'll be back next weekend here on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please stay or new to your pets and have a wonderful day. Thank you.